stop relying on industry benchmarks to use your data or to ground your strategy. Not everybody behaves in exactly the same way. Hi, before we get to this week's podcast, I'd like to tell you that Automated Creative are releasing a book called How to Make It in Marketing, Volume 1. It is a collection of the best marketing career advice we've had from over 200 episodes of the Shiny New Object podcast. You'll hear from some of the biggest, brightest and best names in the industry showing you telling you how to grow your career. You can reserve yourself a copy at this URL. So get your pens out. It's bit.ly, so B-I-T dot forward slash make it in marketing. So that's bit.ly, B-I-T dot forward slash make it in marketing. But the make it in marketing bit is in capital letters. So bit.ly forward slash lowercase and the rest is make it in marketing uppercase. I think you should get your heads around that. And enjoy. It's a great read. Hello and welcome to the Shiny New Object Podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton. I'm the founder of Automated Creative. And this is a weekly podcast about the future of the marketing and advertising industries. I am the lucky geezer who gets to interview one of our industry's leaders each week on a call. And this week is certainly no different. I'm on a call with Azim Ahmad, who is Digital Marketing Lead at Asa Abloy. Azim, for anyone who doesn't know who you are and what you do, can you give us a bit of background? No problem at all. Thank you very much for having me. So yeah, my name is Azim Ahmad. As you mentioned, I'm Digital Marketing Lead at Asa Abloy. Uh, my career has been quite varied. I started off at, at agency side. I was a, a, a prospect for a, a number of years, or Dentsu, as it's, as it's now known. Uh, I was very solely focused on PPC, paid media. Uh, and throughout my career there, I, I progressed from doing the hands-dirty work into strategy, account management, and everything else. But I very quickly realized that PPC and Google Ads is not the be-all and end-all. So I decided to try and... Uh, branch out and look elsewhere. I looked at other forms of paid media. So I moved from an agency to in-house in the UK staycation market, looked at pretty much everything paid. If you could pay to put an ad on there, I could. Uh, and then carried on thinking, right, well, again, this isn't the the size of the world. What else is there? Then I moved in-house again uh, to university, Staffordshire University. Uh, I spent a couple of years there looking at pretty much everything, very heavily sort of strategy involved and trying to put all of the the pieces together in terms of digital marketing. Uh, and after a few years, I have arrived at Asa Abloy and I've just passed my two-year anniversary, I believe. So now I pretty much look after everything and anything and a lot of it is, is heavily uh, organic and SEO focused. So I'm very slowly putting together all of the pieces of the puzzle, I would like to say. That is one of the more unusual career stories we've had on the podcast. I'm very interested to hear what you've got to say. So first off, whether you stay at Astrobloy for the rest of your career or you move on to other places and uh, as an older gentleman, how do you want people to remember your career? So I would love for people to remember my career as the person who couldn't get a seat at certain tables, but went out of his way to build tables for people like me to get a seat at. I'm very glad that I'd said that without being tongue-tied. But ultimately, pretty much what I've just said there, um, and just someone who works 
works their backsides off trying to make others have the same or if not better opportunities than I had. I want to leave the industry in a better position than I found it ultimately. How did you find it? Well, being brutally honest, um, not very, I can't think of the right word, not very welcoming um, in terms of things that we'll, we'll discuss later on in the episode. I didn't, I didn't see people that sort of looked like myself. I didn't see people in senior positions in the industry that, that looked like me. I never thought when I started in the industry that I, no matter how much ambition I had would ever achieve or get to a, a, a certain level that I saw people at. So I often thought, well, I can, I can dwell on that moan about it uh, and not do anything about it, or I can try my absolute best to make sure that the, the next Azeem or the next person who has that feeling uh, ultimately doesn't feel that way and thinks there is no ceiling for me. If I work hard, I can, I can get to wherever I want to be ultimately. That's a, a, a fighting ambition and fantastic to hear you say that so early in the podcast. And we'll, we'll, we'll revisit that. But before we do get your shiny new object, what is the best marketing tip that you've heard in all of those different varied roles that you find yourself sharing most often? Yeah. So this, this is a, a great question. And the best, the best thing that I've heard and learned is around benchmarking in the industry. I'm fortunate enough now that people, my colleagues and people that I work with do not do this. But the tip is ultimately to, to stop relying on, on industry benchmarks to, to use your data or to ground your strategy. So for example, I'm currently in the manufacturing sector. If we are looking at email open rates, the benchmark might be, oh, it could only be X amount of percent, which is great as a, as a starter for 10, but I am very much of the school of thought that those are nothing more than what should just generally be a footnote. What's more important is using your own data, your own customer's data to understand how your marketing performs. So it's good to know that certain industries have a certain amount of percentages of open rates or cost per click or whatever the key metric may be. But I think they should be put to the side and relying on your own customer's data because not everybody behaves in exactly the same way. Unless, of course, you're an agency and you're doing a, a case study film for an award entry and you need to results. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right, so now we're going to move on to your shiny new object, which is diversity and inclusion. So I told you off before we started recording, that's not a shiny new object anymore, but you're going to persuade me that it is. Yes, absolutely. And if I can persuade you at the very least, then I will have done my job. Um, but in all seriousness, no, diversity and inclusion is not a shiny new object. It's a topic that's been discussed for a number of years, certainly in the almost 10 years that I've been in the industry. Um, that has been discussed, but I'd like to think by the end of this episode that listeners will be able to actually start to do things that will will move the needle on this subject rather than a lot of the current situation which I see, which is it's recognized um, and acknowledged in some cases for up to a month, but there are there's more than eleven there's more than one month in the year. There's eleven more months in the year. And I'm hoping that after listening to this episode, when people press stop or carry on with their work, they think, well, actually, 
I know now I'm armed with facts, information, but more importantly, actual tactics and things that I can do to make the industry a better place. So that's what I'm hoping to achieve with this episode. And if I can convince you at the very least, Tom, then I think that I will have done that. I like the idea of facts, tactics and things. So that's all. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of this, a lot of what I will discuss is going to be centered around financials and money and making businesses more money because ultimately when I talk about diversity and inclusion, a lot of it is grounded in cold hard cash. Now, people who have had discussions with in the past, certainly on this topic, often disagree and think, well, you shouldn't really talk about money because it's people's lives and everything else. But I'm hoping that with some of this information that I share with you now, you'll see where this comes from. So a lot of it will be focused around um, race and ethnicity because that's a topic that I'm comfortable talking with. But just outside of that, one of the facts that I researched and picked up on was 60% or six out of 10 of people in the LGBTQ plus community don't feel safe enough to be out at work. So that fact on its own means that there are very likely people in workplaces who don't feel confident enough to be their full selves in the workplace. In adverts across the UK, only 7% of UK ads put people of colour as the sole or main protagonist. If you compare that with the number of consumers who think it's important for brands to promote diverse inclusion in their advertising, that sits at around 84%. And then when I talk about cold, hard cash, certainly from minority ethnic groups, the disposable income of people within that group is currently at £252 billion per annum. And at the current rate, it will rise to £16.7 by 2061. So at that point right there, I would say there are people who are not being seen, not being represented, but have quite a sizable amount of money to spend, which is which is huge. And the way that I frame that in terms of talking to, to people in the past, certainly in lead, senior leadership positions is, wouldn't you like a slice of X amount of billion per annum? And wouldn't you like to me to help you achieve that? And nine out of 10 people will say yes. I mean, which which business leader would not turn down that something, a proposition like that? And then, I mean, we'll discuss this later on, but I mean, there's a, there's a lot, a lot of money on the table there from people from minority and um, ethnic groups. And then, as I mentioned earlier on, uh, for, shout at me from jumping, <laughs> jumping ahead here. Um, but as I mentioned earlier on, we were talking about senior leadership positions, and I, I often talk about um, women and men separately. So we looked at facts that basically said that in the C-suite, that women who, who do make it to the C-suite, if they make it to the C-suite, they're more likely to be sacked than their male counterparts. But you can contrast that with studies that show males' confidence is assumed whereas a woman's is earned. A man could walk into the C-suite and many would believe that he has a level of confidence, whereas a woman would have to earn earn that confidence and earn the seat at the table. So as a little bit of a starter there, there's lots of money on the table uh, and many businesses, brands, agencies are not. I don't want to say taking advantage because I don't feel like that's the right language, but many businesses are, are not 
I can't think of a better phrase, are not taking advantage of the fact that there's that money on the table, which is, I think, is a, is a free shot. It involves the least amount of work, in my opinion, to achieve that. So hopefully by the end, I'll give you some shiny new things that your audience can take away, implement and think, right, we can actually do this and, and earn more money in the business. This episode of the Shiny New Object podcast is brought to you in partnership with Madfest. Whether it's live in London or streamed online to the global marketing community, you can always expect a distinctive and daring blend of fast-paced content, startup innovation pitches, and unconventional entertainment from Madfest events. You'll find me causing trouble on stage, recording live versions of this podcast, and sharing a beer with the nicest and most influential people in marketing. Check it out at www.madfestlondon.com. Small observation here from what you said is you reeled off one, two, three, four, five, six, seven ish facts, but it was the size of the market, the 252 billion, I think you said, Pranam. That's you repeated that three times. So I'm going to read into that. that that's the, the most passionate data point for you. It's just like there's money being left on the table, guys, and it's not that hard to get hold of it. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, so I'll, t- I'll tell you a story about uh, a business that I went into before as an external person. They invited me into the boardroom purely to to give them my thoughts on how they operated in terms of their market and everything else. And with a, a framing of diversity and inclusion, and they brought me in because I was external to the business. So I wouldn't have the the company filter on and and to cut the long, a very long story short they basically said azim what do you notice about us about the business how can we be more diverse more inclusive and i pretty much said well if i can speak freely uh you're all older you're all white but your audience that you claim to represent and serve uh are in multiple different age groups ethnicities cultures even geographic locations now if i was one of your customers i would look at the senior level of your business and think well i don't see myself represented and um there was quite a level of of you know shock and silence at the moment in in the room and then the immediate answer which kind of threw me off was Oh, well, as in what you may or may not know is that we had uh, Janet. Uh, Janet is a made up name for reference. We had Janet and you may or may not know that Janet was black and she was a female and she left. So that's obviously going to harm our diversity and inclusion numbers. And when I hear things like that, I just think of the amount of times I've seen things like marketing conferences for example or webinars during lockdown where it's just um a group of white people largely men and then one person of color or one female for example and they will be talking about either a being a person of color or b being a female in the marketing industry rather than their actual knowledge or expertise. I mean, you could argue that I am doing exactly the same now on this podcast, but I genuinely think that with the platform you've very kindly given me, again, thank you very much. I think that if I talk about this subject and give your audience things that they can immediately implement, that the knock-on effect of that will be much better than me saying, oh, here's a shiny new way that you can talk about 
programmatic advertising, for example, which may only appeal to a certain section of the audience. Right. So you've been teasing me with this. These um, we've had the facts, tactics, tactics, and things. Give me, give me three things that the listeners can do today that's going to make the industry a better place. Okay. The first thing that I think every business should do, um, certainly ones that take bonuses at a leadership level, is to ensure that their bonuses are directly linked to their diversity and inclusion initiatives. So if people in the business, for example, people of colour or women, or even women of colour when you combine the two, if they're not being paid fairly, equitably, then neither should the leadership. I genuinely don't believe senior leaders should take a bonus out of the business when people lower down in the business are not being paid fairly. It's a very common known fact. I mean, it trends once a year. I think it's sometime in November where, for example, women will effectively be working for free for the rest of the calendar year because they're paid less than men. And then separately, there's a race pay gap, which... We haven't got long enough to talk about on this podcast, but nobody in my experience ever ties the two together. So for example, we know if you're a female, you're going to be paid less than your male counterparts. We also know, for example, if you're black, you're going to be paid less than your white counterparts. But I don't see anybody talk about black women, for example, because you are penalized on both fronts there. So point one, every single leadership bonus is is tied to your diversity and inclusion initiatives. If those people aren't being paid fairly, then neither should, neither should you if you're in the senior leadership position. How do you implement that? So I implement that, I, how I would implement that, and I'll, I'll tease the, the second point that I was going to say in that most businesses are required to release their gender pay gap every year. What I think should happen, uh, my second point is around measuring and publicly releasing diversity data. So for example, the race pay gap. We know that gender pay gaps exist. We've all seen in the news about the gender pay gap bot and everything else. We don't see or hear a lot about the the race pay gap. And, And my opinion on that is it's because it's going to make painful reading for many, many people. But ultimately, I believe growth doesn't come until you're in a position of pain. Growth isn't easy to achieve, and there has to be some sort of pain to go through. So to answer your question, how do I implement that? I would implement that by releasing and measuring on a yearly basis the race pay gap. Right. I like that. What's next? Uh, So I mentioned earlier on very briefly about conferences. So when it comes to marketing conferences, I think this is a, a a big thing. I could genuinely give you five points here, but the the first one is um around the diversity of lineups for example so i think conferences marketing conferences i did a a study which i'll send you a link to on my blog where i honestly looked at marketing conferences and their lineups and makeups pre-pandemic and it was basically heavily white i think those conferences should diversify their lineups and, and many uh do not pay to speakers certainly conferences that could charge for example upwards of a thousand pounds for hundreds of people don't seem to have budget to be paying speakers or in some cases they will pay some speakers and not all. So I think point one there would be to diversify conference lineups and pay speakers where possible. But from a business point of view, what can businesses do when it comes to conferences is that many of these conferences are 
as I mentioned, quite expensive to go to. A, an employee could exhaust their entire training budget. But I think that there should be schemes put in place uh, for people from underrepresented communities to attend these conferences. Businesses should have a pot, for example, to say, okay, uh, person A, you've exhausted your, your training budget. Uh, but we know that you're from an underrepresented community, so we would like to pay for you to attend this conference. In return, businesses always want to see a return, right? So in return, we would like you to write up a lot of notes of what you've made, release it on the company blog, and tell us everything that you've learned, and hopefully the business can grow in that sense. So two for one on that front. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I, I just, yeah. Let's go through the list. It's all it's all good stuff so far. <laughs> no, no, I got, was, honestly, well, well, there's nothing really to argue with you. I think it's brilliant. Carry on. <laughs> good, good. Um, and then the, the big one, um, and I'd be curious to hear your, your thoughts and experience on this, which still doesn't happen. And for the life of me, I don't know why, is diversity information should be included in job postings, but more importantly, salary information should be included in job postings. That is one that's across the board. It doesn't just apply to people from marginalized communities, for example, uh, women or people of color. You still see job listings where the salary is listed as competitive. Now, I have thoughts on this. Speaking to people in the industry, I've got friends in the finance sector, for example, completely outside of marketing where this happens. I say to them, why is this the case? Why does it say competitive? I cannot phone my energy supplier and say, oh, hello, uh, British Gas. Can I pay my bill this month competitively? It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to me. So that should be listed certainly because it's a well-known fact that people from marginalized communities will always, almost always, I should say, request a lower salary than their white counterparts um, or people who are from non-marginalized communities. So that is half of point one. And the next point would be job listings include things like we are a diverse and inclusive company and we would love to see more diverse and inclusive applicants. I think it's just, if I'm being completely frank, I think it's just word salad. And I think job descriptions should include things like um, as Imam Ad is an, is an equal opportunities employer, we welcome applications from people from the LGBTQ plus community or people who identify as part of a marginalized community or people who don't genuinely feel like they currently have a, a place in a community yet. We want to hear from you no matter what background you are from. I would read something like that and immediately feel like, okay, this is a place that quite clearly cares and has an interest in this topic. and that's somewhere that I want to be. So salary and diversity information should be included in job postings. So what's stopping people do this? I genuinely think, and this is based on conversations I've had with people in the industry, I think the reason why this is being stopped largely comes down to the fact that businesses might be currently underpaying certain people so let's say for example i spoke about ppc at the very very start of my episode if i had a team of ppc executives in my office and i was paying them all thirty thousand pound 
but I listed a job description for another PPC executive, which was £10,000 higher. The other four or five people in that team are immediately going to be aware of that and say, well, hold on a second. That's £10,000 more. Why am I not being paid the same amount? I've been with the company for X amount of time. And it's just going to basically disenfranchise and disillusion the, the rest of the team. So that's one of the things why I feel like it, it doesn't happen anymore, which I don't think is right. Personally speaking, I just think it should be completely transparent. You see businesses now, for example, that will list salaries either in a range, so, uh, but, but the range, I'm laughing because the only example I can think of is where the range is very wide. So the salary for this job could be anywhere between 10,000 and 250,000 pounds, for example. It doesn't tell you anything as, as wonderful as jobs and employment are. Ultimately, people need to be able to to pay their bills. So in short, I think it's just potentially businesses may be trying to be a bit clever with the books. Certainly, looking at the current economic climate at the minute, of course, um, things are difficult, pennies are being pinched. But like I said, at the very start of the episode, if you want quality, you have to put in put in the work. So putting in a little bit of hard work there in terms of making sure people are paid equitably and it's listed in the job description will take you such a long, long way. I'm a big believer in that. I mean, it's hard to argue with any of this, but I always feel from my time when I worked as an innovation person that it's, it's easy to inspire people. It's really hard to make them do something. You know, if you, if you gave this, we did this podcast on stage or you turned this podcast, all of, all of your content into a blog post or a, or a talk at a conference, right? No one's going to sit there and go, no, that's bullshit. Like, no, like, no one in their right mind is going to argue with such obvious and, and sensible and logical points. However, getting anyone to do anything, that's hard, right? You know, um, I want the leadership team of a, of a small business and, you know, like, we fight for every meal, right? And so some of these things don't get discussed as often as they should. And I'm being transparent and honest about my own business. And then I, I can only imagine is if businesses get twice our size or a hundred times our size, then, you know, it, it becomes more difficult. So what I'm looking for here is what's the mindset that needs to go with these things to give businesses the, the motivation to make things happen? Cause what you've said here is inspirational. It's like, yep, yep, do all that. Let's do all that. What is the mindset that people need to get into other than this? 225 billion quid on the table, which potentially is enough. Ultimately, it's, I always come back to money because businesses are driven by money. Whenever I talk to people in senior leadership uh, positions, I just say, look, do you want to make more money? I could go in and start the conversation by saying, I think you should release your yearly diversity data or tie your leadership bonus. Like you said, very inspirational, right? But when I, if I start the conversation, quite frankly, and say, look, do you want to make more money? Yes, you need to do this. Okay, how do I do it? Well, most businesses will typically say, most larger business, businesses, I should say, um, smaller businesses or new agencies probably are not in a position to do this, but they will typically then go and hire a diversity and inclusion consultant or give someone a job title that is specifically focused around diversity and inclusion, which is great. That's actually something being executed. But in most cases, I would argue that it's not because that person has a job but they are more often than not not being allowed to perform the job to the best of their abilities because of constraints being placed upon them. For example, yes, we want to hire you, Azim, to be our 
diversity and inclusion consultant for this business that turns over a hundred million pounds every year. Unfortunately, we don't have budget to grant you to perform this job. So we just want to give you a seat at a desk, tuck you away in a corner, uh, and just and just sort of crack on from there. So give people responsibility, but also give them the tools and the equipment and the funds ultimately that they will need in order to perform their job to the best of their ability. So how do you do it? Let people hire people, give them the chance to do it. When it comes to hiring, for example, if anybody's listening to this right now and is hiring for a position of any level, but certainly more so of a senior level, whether that's agency in-house or whatever, look to implement something along the lines of the Rooney rule where you will automatically have a conversation with someone who's from a marginalized background or do things like anonymize CVs, remove names from CVs. Again, more tactics, but things that you can like actually do to make the needle move slightly. A lot of this involves money. I've talked about money a lot, but in any sense of the word, especially as marketers listen to this, you have to spend in order to see a return, unless you're doing anything organically, but generally paid performance marketing you must spend in order to see a return. And I'm happy to be challenged on that by, by either yourself or anybody listening to this podcast. So what it reminds me of is sort of go back to being an innovation person, which may seem unlinked, but my role was an innovation director. That was, I was the innovation guy, right? Not very successful at it. But what I realized is that the innovation guy should be the CEO or the C-suite, right? And in the same way, actually, in some certain organizations, so should the salespeople, you know, like having someone to come in and just, oh, that person's the sales lady, guy, whatever. This one's the innovation person. It also feels to me, and I'm hearing this wrong, that like having a DNI person makes everyone feel good and gives a tick. But actually, really, if, if the DNI, it's a DNI mindset across the C-suite, then it all, it all cascade down versus it being like, oh, have you finished your DNI homework yet? DNI person who sits over there. Or, or am, I, am I misunderstanding? Yeah. So, again, um, if I can speak, if I can speak freely, I it's a bit late for that is a bit late for that, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I think that there are businesses, there are many businesses out there who operate in the same echo chamber. So diversity and inclusion often includes diversity of thought. And the example that I always uh, go back to is things like there's a there's a big theme that's prevalent in the industry around uh length of tenure so automatically your opinions are given more weight directly linked to the amount of time that you have spent with a business mm. which doesn't translate to marketing in general because as i'm sure we both know and it's probably the same from from your own experience tom that generally marketing roles have a few years lifespan in them before you move on to the next. So in the rare occasion where someone has moved up throughout a number of years into a senior position, they will only be talking to those people who, or sorry, they will only be giving weight to the opinions of those people who've been there for a certain number of years. Now, I truly believe that length of service doesn't indicate a quality of thought. I've hired and I've worked with graduates in my team who've literally been in the industry for the, the equivalent of five minutes. And they've given me ways and techniques to do things or achieve goals that I genuinely would never have thought of myself. 
And I often just, when I reflect upon situations like that, I think, well, hold on, how many people in the industry are not doing this? And how much better could the industry be if we just looked at things like this, not just operate in our same echo chamber, talking to the same people or being sat at a meeting table and disregarding somebody's opinion because they've only been in the business for, you know, X amount of, of weeks, months, or years. We know people's opinions are disregarded at the table. For example, if they're a woman or if they're from a marginalized community, but again, here's another facet. If you've only been around for a number of weeks, months, or years, we kind of not fussed in what you've got to say. So there's basically lots to go at, but ultimately what I mentioned earlier on is there has to be a willingness to accept a certain level of pain and, and, and discomfort before growth happens. So you've broken all the rules. You didn't bring a shiny object and you've gone wildly over time, but I, <laughs> I, but I, I must have enjoyed it. Uh, and whenever DNI does come up on this podcast, it's always an education for me and I always walk away thinking I'm grateful for, you know, the mirror being held up to the industry and giving me as a, you know, guy that runs a business things that i can implement directly so i thank you as you very much for your time today no thank you very much for having me and apologies for a breaking the rules and b <laughs> going over time but oh it's fine you're forgiven however um <laughs> how, how can people get in touch with you and what makes a good outreach message um how can people get in touch with me i am on twitter at azim digital uh, you can find me on linkedin um which is just azim ahmad um, or if I'm doing really well in my ongoing war with a random jewelers in London, you should be able to just Google search, how can I contact Azim? And my email address should be in the featured snippet. What makes a great outreach message is if you've heard this episode and you found something that you've liked, agreed with, or even disagreed with, just pop me a message and say, hey, really enjoyed this. Tell me something that you either liked or disliked. And let's start a conversation from there. Brilliant, Azim. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Hi, just before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the Shiny New Object Podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called these days, or whichever podcast provider you use. We're an indie podcast, so it would go a long way for us if you could just share the word and give us a bit of a support on those channels. That would just be fantastic. If you haven't got time, that's also cool. And yeah, if you could tell your colleagues about the podcast and also if possible, don't forget to subscribe. And I'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, if you'd like to speak on the podcast or be a guest or you think I'm asking the wrong questions, anything, I'd be super interested to hear what you think. So please email me at tom at automatedcreative.net. That's T-O-M at, uh, I'm not going to bother spelling it. Anyway, you'll work it out. Thanks so much.